Do you know what right now is? It's June. Do you know what that means? What makes women feel beautiful? The experience is coming this month and only this month, my friend. So do not miss the opportunity to join us. I will email you the details as soon as they're live when you pop your email into hillaryrushford.com slash beautiful waitlist. I'll put that link in the description. Plus I've got some teaching about beauty, bodies, women, finances, and more coming this month. So you'll hear about that too. Swipe up and enter your email right now while you enjoy the theme song. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, beautiful. I have heard from you in the last couple of weeks that you have rarely heard a woman get angry the way that I did on part three of their latest podcast series. And it felt so good to you. It unlocked something in you. And I took note. I paid attention. I have been fascinated by this response of this feeling of unlocking something within you. This sense of, I, that felt good to hear. I think it would feel good to do. I think it would feel good to hear more often. I, I am yearning for that. I am craving for that. And y'all, I did not expect that response, as is clear from the top of that episode when I was like, okay, so I get angry in this episode and um, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I should re-record. I don't know if I should sound less angry. So I gave you a whole like caveat at the beginning, which I have never done on an episode because I really wasn't sure how people were going to feel about it. I was not expecting people to almost just like, oh, throw their arms and their head back in relief. Like, thank freaking goodness. Somebody around here finally just got angry. Why do I feel like we can't do that? However, we know that not all anger is alike because we do see women get angry. Unfortunately, in the last couple of years, we have seen this archetype of the, the white woman referred to as a Karen, and women get angry in situations that make us very uncomfortable to observe and that we do not say, ooh, I see that and I want to join into it. The opposite. We are not compelled by it. We are repelled by it. And we are not only judging her heart for what is coming forth, but we're also judging her for letting it out. Like, if you really are that unkind or that racist or whatever, how are you not at least keeping that within you? So we are not at all applauding her for getting it out. So what is the difference? What is the nuance of the times that we see anger and it feels repelling to us in women? And what was different in this scenario that we actually felt compelled, you felt compelled hearing another woman get angry. So in hindsight, there was a recipe here and it was subconscious yet intentional. I was very thoughtful for sure in what I was sharing in each part of the series, but I couldn't have told you up front exactly what the, the recipe was. I wouldn't have described it as a recipe. I wouldn't have described it as a strategy. I was being thoughtful and intentional, but this happens for me often where I have to do something 
And then in hindsight, I can tell you how I did it, why I did it, why my approach to it and the little nuances in it are what led to it feeling successful. I can get dressed and then break down for you which principles I used. But I'm not thinking about the principles as I go. Once it works, then I can say to you, okay, so here is what was at play here. I have gut instincts, but they are teachable. They are replicable. This sort of is what my whole business is as a coach and teacher and writer is saying, actually, in hindsight, there were three steps to this. There were five elements at play here. I'm going to break those down. And that's how I'm going to be able to, to teach from my life and my experience. And I think it's really important that we have this conversation today because I almost feel a sense of responsibility to not just unleash this anger within us unguided. And that's because there is patriarchy at play here. Now, patriarchy is not a group of men. It is not all men. Patriarchy is anything that prioritizes or works in the favor of men versus women. Feminism is just the equivalent of anti-racism. How do we make it more equal for those for whom it's been unequal? How do we make the world more equal for people of color? That's what we are working to do as white allies, and that's what people of color are working at for themselves and for other people of color. How do we as women make it more equal for women who it has been unequal for, for ourselves and for one another, that is is anti-patriarchy. And so we are not wrong that we are judged as a gender for being angry. This is statistical. If a if a male boss and a female boss have similar interactions in a room, in a study, people are going to think much worse of the female boss than they did the male boss for the same behavior. And I do a lot of research in my teaching. And you heard that one of the editors I worked with was like, women don't want these facts. Women women don't want this research and this data. They just want the style tips. The reason that I do research is because facts are how we know we're not crazy or overreacting. And as women, we are so often made to believe and feel that we are crazy or overreacting and that it is us. It is unique to us. It is a character flaw in us. And so much of my teaching is saying, friend, it is not you. This is not an individual failing. This is a collective issue that we are experiencing. So as black women have known for a long time, you have to be careful and do anger with extra intention if you want it to go well. And so the reason I wanted to talk about this this issue before we moved on from the response of it or talk about this topic is because I do feel there's a sense for us collectively that's that's even aligned with the teaching of what makes women feel beautiful of I want to be responsible as a leader of a community of women to help us be honest about the fact that if we just go out there and start getting angry, not everybody's going to like it. 
So how can we do it well? How can we do it with wisdom? How can we do it with elegant excellence, with a, with a gracefulness um, that is also going to lead to change, which is the excellence? So in hindsight, there are six parts, six elements in how I told my story and the experience that I brought you on through that three-part series that I want to break down and help us think through when we want to go to speak up. And the first one is empathy, pain, or loss. Before I was angry, I was sad. In episode one, I invited you into that and I connected with you. I made it about both of us. I said, have you ever felt silenced? Can, can, have you also felt scared to speak? Have you also been through any trauma? There was, there was empathy there. There was connection. You were shoulder to shoulder to me. I thought about you. I wasn't just thinking about myself. I was thinking about you. Now, I do that naturally as a teacher. That's the whole point is that I'm here because I'm thinking about you. But as a result... I built that connection. You, you, you felt like we were holding hands and we were in it together from the beginning because you felt that empathy. The second element was grace plus narrowing the scope. I also did that. I also thought about someone else throughout the podcast and thinking about the other people that were involved. And it wasn't just in kindness towards them, but it was in not letting the issue have scope creep. And I would clarify for you that I was narrowing the scope. I wasn't upset they missed their deadline, just that they didn't email. I wasn't blanket upset that they screamed, just that it was to blame me for still being traumatized by an issue they caused and never took ownership of. And that built trust with you. It built trust in my character that I'm someone who's going to give grace and trust in me as a narrator that I was rational and reasonable enough not to start throwing in things where you would say, well, I mean, Hillary, I've, I've missed deadlines. So if that's what we're really upset about, I don't really know that that's that bad. Like, I mean... Hillary, are you saying you've never lost your cool? Because I've lost my cool. So if you're really going to be upset later on about just if people have lost their cool, then ugh, that would be me as well. But instead, you were following. Oh, yeah, Hillary, you're giving grace that people miss deadlines. Everybody misses deadlines. You get too much on your plate. You get burnt out. You get behind. Things don't go on your thought. That's human. You're not upset about that. You're giving grace for that. Your ask is just that you communicate when you make the deadline. That that's the narrowed scope. And then you as a listener were able to say, I agree. That feels like a reasonable request that gives grace that we can't always control our timeline, but we can control our ability to communicate. I put myself in their shoes and I noted the parts that I was not upset about to show that I was being reasonable and narrowing the scope. The third element is I shared calm facts or shared facts calmly, and I imagined smart responses. So in part two, I gave you a lot of reasonable examples of what had happened to me, of what had happened to other people. And because I stayed pretty calm, it was subconsciously more likely for you to hear me as coming from my prefrontal cortex versus my limbic brain. So our limbic brain reacts fast, 
out of fear, out of immediate emotions. And the prefrontal cortex is where we can shift into thinking more logically. We're able to plan for the future, which even means I'm able to think through what your response is so that I've, I've already played both sides of the argument subconsciously. So I'm not going to say something and then you come back with a retort and I'm like, oh shoot, my argument doesn't really hold up here. So you're more able to think logically, plan for the future, have impulse control, and we can organize our emotional reactions. Now, we've all felt the difference of this in our bodies. You've gotten super frustrated at a text or email or conversation or interaction, and you have lost it. And in doing so, you got a little irrational (laughs) because you were afraid. Something happened to make you afraid that you were being rejected, or now you were running late, or now you were going to be judged, or now you were not going to get your way, or whatever. So your body went into fight or flight mode and panicked, and so you overreacted a little bit. We talked about this last week in the example of, you know, I read a DM at 4 a.m. saying a link didn't work, and it took me almost an hour to realize it wasn't that big of a deal because I was exhausted and I was vulnerable because I just shared this the day before. And I I, I went into that limbic brain that was like, oh my gosh, I'm not safe. I'm not safe. We got to fix it. And then I said, if I'd read that calmly, better rested after, you know, I'm awake in the middle of the night because I have anxiety. So of course I'm heightened up about fear. The next day, let's say I just read a bunch of messages about how much people loved it or something. I'm better rested and I'm calmer. I could have gotten that same piece of information, not gone into fight or flight, and instead working out of my prefrontal cortex would have seen, oh, that's not that big of a deal. That's easy to fix. I can really follow that more logically, and I'm going to have be more organized with less of an emotional reaction. So I knew the facts were calm as I was sharing them because I had thought through their reply. Like, what would you argue if you were hearing both of our sides? That the the editor, if I simply said, and then she, she tells me that I'm a bad writer and I'm just so angry that she thinks I'm a bad writer. And she would say, could say, but Hillary, I didn't like the book. You can't be mad at me for that. I'm allowed to have an opinion. That's literally my job as an editor to have an opinion about the kind of books and writing I think is good. How, how can you be mad at me for that? That Therefore, I didn't say that. I said, no, you're allowed not to like it. But I think it is a fair, reasonable, kind, humane ask that you acknowledge your only one opinion. And a bunch of other people before you have disagreed, which is the only way that I am a year into a book contract because a lot of other people disagreed with you. And honor that it might not be that I can't write, but you're not the right editor for my book. And therefore, have the grace to say, if you want to stay on with me, here's what it is. But I have the humility that I'm just one person. And because I've walked through that, that that felt like a reasonable ask, right? I wasn't mad. It would have been irrational to be mad at her for just not liking the book. 
In the same way that it would have been irrational for me to say, my whole life is over, I'll never be a writer, I'm absolute shit and I'm so miserable and like I'm the worst human being. That That's an irrational, but we've all done that, right? We've all spiraled because we were so scared. But because I was coming at it to you, not from that fight or fight place, I could say, logically, friend, I didn't fall apart because I had, that didn't mean I didn't question it for a few days and really think about it and it still doesn't feel tender and all of that. But I've been able to say, I have a lifetime of being told that I'm a good writer. And I have literally one example of somebody who didn't think so, and it's art. Art is subjective. So that's how I was able then to say, here's what my ask is. And you didn't see me as hysterical because I was not being hysterical because I was coming to you once I had already stepped out of that fight or flight mode. And so I not only was able to be calm as I relayed the facts, but I also had imagined that smart response in return. And I think a lot of times that step is missing. And I will be honest, that 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 happens to be one of my magical giftings. It's why I'm good at strategy. I have a lot of business conversations where I've gotten a lot of feedback over the years. Everyone has strengths and weaknesses, friends. I can't even make an egg. But I can see multiple steps ahead. And other people will bring something. And I'm like, yes, but unfortunately, then we're going to have A, B, C, D, E. And they're like, oh, hadn't gotten past A. So it is not an, I'm not saying that it is an easy thing if, if you're like, oh, yeah, I do kind of struggle with that. I, I think a lot of people struggle with it. That happens to be my little, you know, weird genius area over here. But I think that we can, what anyone can do is say, if you are envisioning that the other people, the other person was just cruel or dumb. Now, there's a gap here for lack of mental and emotional health. If you're dealing with a sociopath, if you are dealing with someone with deep depression, if you, I'm not equating those two, I'm just saying like someone who is not rational, if you are dealing with an addict, if you are dealing with a narcissist, if you are dealing with, with someone who has gone through trauma, then there, there is a lack of rationality on their end that you may not be able to say, I'm gonna say this and they're gonna say this back because they, th- th- their brain can't see it in that same way. But if that's not what you feel you were dealing with, you're like, I just think my boss is bad at communication. I just think my spouse wasn't being that thoughtful in this situation. I just think, you know, whatever. If you think the other person was just cruel or dumb, there is usually, or rather, if you think that, then you're going to not play back that they have a smart response. But if you think the other person is not dumb and not was, was not being trying to be totally malicious, then usually there's a calm, reasonable, reasonable reply on their part, especially if you make the accusation too broad because you haven't narrowed down into exactly what it was you felt that that could have been different. If you just make a big blanket statement and they are moderately thoughtful and intelligent, they're going to come back and poke a hole and be like, honey, I'm not going to never miss a deadline again. Like that's just not realistic. Then I'm able to say, okay, this wasn't, I didn't, I didn't narrow the scope enough. I didn't think through their smart response. 
So now it is going to seem like I'm asking for something irrational, and they, they're probably right. It probably is irrational to never miss a deadline. Number four is safe rage. After all of this, after the empathy, the grace, narrowing the scope, calmly stating the facts, imagining the smart response, then I got angry. You were able to feel safe around it because you knew I wasn't operating from that irrational part of my brain. When the other person is is irrational is when we start to feel unsafe. And we've all felt that, right? You've been in a meeting or an argument in your family or somebody is, is frantically texting you and you know that they are in that fight or flight. They are being irrational. There is... This is not safe. They're going to say things that are mean. They're going to say things that are unkind. They're going to say things they can't take back. They're going to make accusations and requests that are totally irrational. And so you start to get nervous. But when someone is has already established that they're not in that fight or flight and they're in that logical, calm part of their brain, now it feels safer to be around. So your brain also felt more safe hearing it. You could follow that this was wise, thoughtful, logical, rational, and therefore it felt right to you. You were like, I'm, I'm, I'm following, Hillary. This is, this is making sense that you're angry about this because this is the kind of thing to be angry about because you broke it down logically and I'm following along and you're making, you're making really reasonable arguments. You're asking that someone email you when, they, when they're going to miss a deadline. I think that's fair. And if that led to huge financial loss for you, then that's fair to be angry about. Like that felt safe to you. Now, when it's the person you're upset about, if you are trying to be to, to have this anger conversation with the person you're angry about, it's not going to feel safe to them, right? But because in this episode, we had established that this is you as my friend in my living room, you're not watching me. This wasn't a reality TV show where you were watching me storm into their boardroom and scream at them. Instead, this was me telling you. I wasn't mad at you. And because, again, all of those other steps that have preceded it, it felt safe to hold space for it. You actually felt felt like honored almost to be there of like, I'm grateful that you're you're being so vulnerable and honest with me. It feels it feels connecting, right? When someone actually shares something real, it it, it and it feels safe. We are drawn to oh, it's actually me, making me feel better to see something real. I'm going to give an example of this in the um in the PS further. I'm going to talk about the Smart List documentary that's out right now on HBO Max. Um but I was thinking about, I just saw the part last night where Sean Hayes, you don't have to know anything about it for this to make sense, but Sean Hayes, his dad left when he was five. His mom, he was the youngest of five kids and his dad just took off one day. And it's a running joke on the podcast about how Sean's dad left. Now that might sound odd, but I think it's actually an example of safe rage. Because Sean has stayed calm enough about it, because at 55, this was five years ago, because he's not so triggered by it, and because he jokes about it and his friends joke about it, it's made it safe to joke about. But he said that 
he had reconnected with his dad maybe 20 years ago or something after not hearing from him for decades. And that since the podcast started a couple years ago, his dad has stopped reaching out. And they said, do you, do you think that's because he's heard the podcast? And John was like, yeah, I mean. And he he's like, do you feel badly about that? He's like, I mean, I a little bit, but really like it's – it hasn't made him want to apologize for it. So if if he, you know, I'm I'm just stating the facts. Like if you felt feel badly about the fact that you took off, then you could apologize, but you're not doing that. So and I realized humor in his case is that safe rage. It's safe to him, it's safe to his friends, it's safe to the audience, but it's not safe to his dad. And I think that is just an important distinction to know that same, we all feel comfortable hearing him joke about it. And whenever a new guest comes on and they joke about it, he'll, they'll always kind of loop the the guest in right away. You know, like it's, it's, it's a big joke, joke in here. And then Sean, you know, we even say like, sometimes you like, if you don't, you, if you don't laugh, you'd cry. And so it's sort of saying like, yeah, this is the, the safe way that I rage about this. But it's not going to feel safe to his dad. And so it is very different when we are directing that rage to someone. And you knew that was not the intention of this episode. I did the bonus Q&A that y'all requested as the unofficial part four. And someone in there asked, you know, have I have I heard from them? I covered that in that why this was not at all was I thinking they would ever even listen to this because I, I this was for, for us. It was a safe rage. Um, element number five is plus action. Because furthermore, what I was proposing made sense. I said, I'm not saying that authors should be paid more. I do not know the inside business model. Maybe someone disagrees with me and they should. But I, just as a business person, can look at the fact that there are more streaming services and and podcasts and there's more content than ever before and you can't charge more money for a book. So I have to imagine that the industry is hurting to figure out a revenue model. So I'm not saying that I needed to be compensated more. I'm saying we have to avoid scope creep. I'm saying it has to be a livable wage, which means you cannot spend you know, three years working on something that's going to pay you three months salary. My reasonable action step was you may not have loved the book, but a book doesn't have to be perfect to be able to be well marketed and sell well. And at some point, you have to say, this is good enough. You have to have a definition of enough. We can't spend three years on a book or it's not going to make anyone enough money for the investment. And that felt like a really reasonable ask to realize publishers can just keep dragging on the scope. They can keep telling you the book isn't good enough. And now you've just sunk more time, money, and energy into it. And what is the definition of enough? We talk about this extensively in my healing burnout course. We talk about it inside What Makes Women Feel Beautiful, especially if you are a member of this community You've heard me raise this question that so many of our issues come back to not having a definition of enough, which leaves us unsafe. What is enough weight loss for your body? I will tell you the answer right now, statistically, is if you prioritize having a smaller body, your body will never be small enough for you to be happy enough with it. Different conversation for another time. But I wasn't just venting. 
I was proposing what could be done better. I wasn't just rehashing the past. I was trying to create a way for a better future. And the final element, number six, is on behalf of others. Now, this part isn't required. You can feel anger just for yourself, but I think often it is present for women, that we're protectors, we're communal, we're collective, we are are vulnerable and we empathize so we can imagine that other people would be in our shoes. You know, we're angry about a lack of gun safety in schools for our kids and everyone else. We would be angry if it's our kids, but the fact that it's everybody's kids gets us even more riled up to feel like there are all the kids I'm trying to to protect and all together we should all be able to do something. I'm angry this could happen to any author. And I have so many friends who've been exhausted and beaten down by this process. And as a reader, I'm angry that this could be true for the writers of books I've loved and want them to put more work out into the world. I don't want my favorite authors not to write more books because it turns out behind the scenes it's miserable. Are there other, is there other content out there that could have, you know, blessed my life? And this anger for others is the only way we make change. And furthermore, it leaves us hopeful instead of heavy, right? That episode also felt good to you because it didn't, I didn't just rage and rage and rage. And you were like, I mean, I get it. It was bad, but I don't, I don't know what else could be done. I just feel so hopeless and so beaten down. You know, sometimes you hear a story and it's just, It's so hard. There is no way to make it right. It just weighs on you. And and instead, there was was a a momentum that you felt after listening because there was a hopefulness. That's what we do inside what makes women feel beautiful. It's why I'm so passionate about this teaching is this sense of wanting to make it better, not just for myself, but for others. Like our beauty standards and our approach right now to bodies and beauties and our everything that we put on women, it's harming everyone, these beauty standards. I'm angry for myself. I'm angry for my friends of color. I'm angry for my friends who were born in a body that's larger than mine. I'm angry for my nieces. But when you go through that teaching, it's not going to feel like someone just raged. It's going to feel like someone got passionate for a good reason and proposed a path to change that you are freaking excited to join. And I think there's a difference, like my hands are raising and my fingers are wiggling as I say this, like there's almost an effervescence. When there is a holy rage, when someone is just angry and vile and spewing, it's like my hands are going going down and out like little daggers. It's just like digging deeper and deeper and deeper. It's just feeling worse. But when there's a holy rage, like, now make your hands go up and your fingers kind of wiggle and you're going in little light circles. Like it's almost ever effervescent. It, it compels instead of repels. It makes you think, you know what? You're right. You're right that there's a better way. There's right that this just isn't kindness. This, you're right that it shouldn't be this hard. You're right that I think we could do something. And together we could do something. And then it kind of rises and it, it leaves your soul ultimately feeling more hopeful and helpful and healthy in any energy that you're going to put forth. So here's what I think this might look like in a conversation in your life. 
which is a very different context than what this podcast was. But number one, the empathy pain loss. We're saying, I'm feeling sad. I got really hurt when this thing, dot, dot, dot. Second, grace and narrowing the scope. I know you didn't mean to, dot, 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 or I know on your end you were. Like, I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes. And it's not this or that. Like, that's fine. Those things happen. We're going to have different preferences there. We're going to have different love languages. We're going to agree to disagree. We're going to, you know, whatever. Number three, calm facts. For me, it was really that this thing happened. It was really this element and this element. Number four, holy rage. You're probably going to need to skip if it's to them, this conversation, and you don't want to be in a fight. Now, if you're presenting before Congress, then the holy rage is valuable. I think the people we see that make the most impassioned pleas, this is what they're doing. They are talking about the empathy for the lower income communities that are being impacted. They are narrowing the scope that this is not crazy, outlandish, blanket things. There is This specifically is what we need to work on. There are calm facts. We know medically this works. We know statistically this works. Now we can get into the holy rage because we are presenting before Congress and we want the attention to say we cannot sleep on this. My friends, I was about to say my brothers and sisters, then I was like, I sound like a preacher. Um, but if you're, if you're one-on-one, the holy rage is just going to feel like a fight because now it's to that one person, right? If it's to a group, it's able to be more dissipated. But if it's just to one person, they're going to want to fight back. They're going to feel unsafe. Their brain's going to go into fight or flight. They're going to be irrational. And now you're not going to get anywhere. They're not going to hear you. Five is plus action. So let's say this is the personal scenario and we've, we've removed the holy rage. We're just trying to stick with the calm facts. We skip over, we move to, to plus action. Here's what I would have proposed you do in hindsight or here's what I would propose next time. I'm not just venting. I have a something I'm proposing and I've thought through what your answer is going to be back in return and I feel that this is narrowed a narrowed scope and I think there is a really good chance that you might say, I, I hear you. I hear you. I'll think about that next time as opposed to, well, here's why that isn't going to work or that's completely unreasonable for you to ask. And then six, on behalf of others, why this matters more broadly if it does. Again, you know, miscommunication in my marriage, no, that's not going to be applicable. But if you're having a conversation with a friend about the fact that they keep talking about the fact that they need to lose 10 pounds and you're saying this not only harms me as your friend because you're telling me, even if you're like, but you're smaller, right? But you're still telling me that if my body isn't small at some point, I need to fix it. You're, you're still telling me that bigger bodies are bad, even if right now I have a smaller body. But what if I don't? What if I get injured? What if I get ill? What if, you know, something happens? But it's not just impacting me, but any woman in your life any friend or any man in their belief about a woman's body and their own bodies. So we can bring in this, this on behalf of others to say, this is why I'm, I'm speaking up. We don't want to be like, and you're affecting everybody. Again, if we're talking directly to them, but when we're not, when we're presenting to Congress, when we're you know doing that podcast episode that is not directly calling out one person to their face, 
then it is very helpful to say, and the reason I'm so angry is this affects so many people. Like mothers against drunk driving back in the day, they got angry. Mothers demand action, which is for gun sense in America. They have a holy rage. That's how we change things. Now we dial it back a lot in one-on-one conversations, but with that same wise foundation, and we make it louder when we join together in thoughtful campaigns and movements, and when we're speaking to a collective for a collective. So there is a range within that, but a lot of the wise foundations are the same. It's just whether we're dialing it down because that's going to be more effective one-on-one to tread softly and carefully, or whether we're dialing it up because sometimes, all of a sudden I was like, let's get loud, let's get loud. Like sometimes we got to get loud in order to make things change. And with a ton of joy and lightness and playfulness and delight, that's what we do inside what makes women feel beautiful. You know, we connect vulnerably, emotionally about the insecurity and lack of confidence that we all sometimes face in our bodies and beauties. I don't know a single woman in my life that is immune to it. We look at the facts to realize it's not just us. We're not crazy. We're not overreacting. We get angry when we realize just how many made-up stories we've bought and how much of what we're trying to achieve, the data has proved isn't possible. So we are never going to win this race that is exhausting us, that is taking so much of our energy and attention and focus as women, that is taking so much of our financial investment in women. As women, we'll talk about this on a future podcast, but it is going to make you angry, my friend, how much of our wealth we are investing in a game that is rigged that no one wins. Coming up in a future podcast episode. But then we look at the solutions that do work and we get excited when we see how they can set all women free. When we feel like, wait a minute, that's gonna set me free. That's lighter, that's better, that's more positive, that's hopeful, it's gonna set my friends free. My my neighbors who are of a different income bracket, who are of a different ethnicity, who are of a different religion. My, my daughters, the next generation, not just in beauty, but in so many ways that women are not being fully supported to thrive and to rest. Repressing anger is actually dangerous for us. It causes stress, which weakens our body's immune system, increasing our chance of illness and disease. It makes us physically less strong and safe to repress that anger. Staying silent means we can't create change for ourselves and others, which leaves us discouraged and hopeless. It creates a damaging mindset. The the list goes on. But men are more likely to have their anger well-received in research studies. So Let's move forward with eyes wide open and with hearts open to believe there is a better way. Let's move forward with wisdom, with elegant excellence, with imperfection, of course, and lots of grace for ourselves. Because just because you know you are doing the right thing, that it is right for you to stretch yourself, doesn't mean that it's always going to feel comfortable and doesn't mean that you will do it right the first time because you're doing something for a new time for for the first time. We're going to talk about this in the PS as well. I've been really thinking about this a lot. When we do something for the first time, it's not always going to go well. So we have to have so much grace for ourselves if we are trying to be angry in a wise way 
with the elements in this episode. We're not always going to get it right. It's going to feel uncomfortable. But I think what we check back in with ourselves and say is, am I moving forward in love, not in fear? Am I being silent and holding back because I'm afraid? Or am I speaking up because I really want things to be better? I want to be happier at work. I want to be happier in, you know, in this relationship. I really am coming from love. I'm not just trying to be right. I'm not trying to make someone else wrong. I really want this to be a positive, safe environment. And let's check our hearts that we are moving forward out of love, not hate. I didn't do that episode because I wanted people I was upset with to know I was upset with them. I did it because I love this work so much. I believe so deeply that this teaching of what makes women feel beautiful can change women's lives, can change our culture. I love it so much. I'm willing to to tell you the embarrassing parts. I'm willing to risk being judged for getting angry means I want to get it out there. I wasn't coming from hate towards the people in the publishing industry. I'm coming to from a place of love for books and for authors and for writers and for creatives and wanting creatives to be able to, to make a living doing what they're doing. And I, I did it not out of fear of, of what, what people would think, but ultimately of love saying, I believe that the people who are the right people for me in this season, the people that I am meant to to lead and to teach are actually going to love this. They're actually going to say, I like her better now that I know all the messy stuff. I did it from a place of love. And I think that is what you could feel. I think that is what resonates. You know, we've all had those moments where like maybe you, you watch, I've seen this before, like in a couple, where, where one snaps at the other and it's uncomfortable, but the reason they were doing it is they got scared for a minute for their kid. And you're like, okay, that was, it was coming from a place of love. It was coming from a place of love. Their, their brain just whew, snapped into that fight or flight mode and they were kind of sharp with their spouse, but it's because they got so scared for a second that their kid was going to run into the street. They got so scared for a second that the kid was choking that they turned on the other parent and said, why weren't you watching them? Or whatever it was. They were coming from a place of love. And I think that we can feel that when that's the difference. And like we talked about last week and where can we go from here? We can work on our hearts. Even when I'm angry, is it coming from a place of love or is it coming from a place of hate? Am I hating on another group of people and trying to control them because I don't agree with their ideology? Or am I coming from love that I'm trying to protect a group of people that I feel like is being disadvantaged and is is not being heard? So I love this community and I will tell you something else I'm loving after the jump. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something that I wasn't really loving lately and now I'm thinking I'm loving a little bit more lately is the Smartless documentary. So I mentioned Smartless. If you're unfamiliar, it's a podcast that is hosted by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. Um, I, at first... Okay, I got, first of all, if you do not know, I love this podcast. I feel like these men are my friends. They don't know that, um, but in my heart they are. And I think that that's how most listeners of the podcast feel. (laughs) I think that's why it's so successful. So I was 
exultant that this podcast, this uh, this documentary that they made, a six-part documentary series on HBO Max following their tour. Their tour happened. They announced their tour and I'd become a fan of the podcast like two weeks earlier. So when I was binging the podcast, by the time I caught up to hear about the tour, it had already been announced. Everything was already sold out. And so I didn't get to go. So they filmed it. They're turning it into this documentary. I'm so excited. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm halfway through the first episode, and I text my friend Rochelle, who's the only other person I know who's obsessed with it, and she did go to um, the show in person. I text her. I'm like, are you watching? And she's like, I'm so exhausted. I just fell asleep putting my kid to bed, like was snoring in their bed. So I have not watched yet. And I was like, okay. I didn't want to tell her anything to sway her. But halfway through the episode, what I was wanting to text a friend who got it was, why is this not funny? Why is this so slow? I don't understand why this is so, why this isn't funny. Now I'm on like maybe episode four or five out of six. I'm like two thirds of the way through. And I'm not going to tell you to watch this documentary if you don't already love the podcast. I'm not necessarily recommending it. Um, But there also is an interesting lesson in it for all of us. So it's ultimately, I thought it was going to be the healing balm for my nervous system to let me laugh each night while I'm I'm about to go in the studio and um, and film. When you hear this um, episode, I will have um, been in the studio filming. And so I've been working round the clock to prep for that. And I know that to heal burnout, I need some laughter that's going to close the stress response cycle. And so I'm, I'm like, oh, this is perfect timing that I'm going to have this. It's less funny, but more ministering to me than I expected. And I won't give away or get into the details, but their tour doesn't necessarily go great. I don't think the documentary in and of itself, in my opinion, is going great. I'm, I'm halfway into the first episode and I'm like, I don't think this is good. And I'm a super fan. And I was primed to love pretty much anything that they put out. And then other people start reacting that other things on the tour aren't going well. And then they start talking about it. And I think, wow, I assume that someone who is famous and, and already has had success and is talented is just going to have a smash success at whatever it is that they do. But really, their podcast has been an absolute smash success, but there's plenty of celebrities that have launched podcasts that are doing fine, but not to like the upper echelons of where they were. So Really, there was just some luck there. Like there was some lightning in the bottle. And luck does not mean there is there is not also talent and hard work and all those things into it. But there's also just a, it just hits. It's just a je ne sais quoi that it works. And so I would think after that, I mean, anything they touch is gold, right? Like it's all slam dunks from here. But I realize in this, this documentary series, no. Talented, successful people don't always win. It's, it, and it's not always just that they get unlucky sometimes because that also is a huge factor, right? When, when something comes out, who everybody is that was involved, et cetera, that, that was more my, my book story. It was just a lot of bad luck. But they also made some bad calls. And I realize it's because they're doing it for the first time. They're they're very successful men in their 50s, but they're beginners at this. They've never taken a podcast on a tour before, and they've got money. They've got producers. They've got so much at their disposal that would make it easier for them 
than presumably any of us listening, right? To do something for the first time. And I realized, you know, that laughter would have been good for my nervous system for a night, (laughs) but hearing the truth is better for my nervous system in the long run. You know, it's why I've been trying to share my podcast series and really encouraging you to share it with more people before I move on, because I do want to focus on happier things. But I know that we don't share the hard nearly as much as we share the good. And yet it's where most of us are at far more often. And we all beat ourselves up so much thinking that it's just us. And this is the celebrities are just like us that I need. You know, I don't care that the grocery shop or whatever is in those magazines, but I need to know that successful people don't always succeed, aren't always confident, don't always make the right calls don't succeed just because they have money or already succeeded. Some things they do for the first time, like a podcast, totally work. Some things they do for a first time, like a tour, don't really. Like a documentary series, don't really. I mean, again, I'll sort of reserve judgment until I get to the end um, because I feel like maybe they leaned into realizing through the tour and they're halfway through the tour and therefore halfway through filming the docuseries that this was their story. Like, because I'm, I'm midway through and they just started having some deeper conversations on the plane that wasn't in the first three or four episodes. They have to be flying someplace. And I thought, I think may, they had a conversation amongst themselves and said, if this is the truth of the tour, if this is the story that we have to share, which is, we didn't knock this out of the park. This wasn't a slam dunk. You guys all saw a slam dunk it on the podcast and you all assumed it was going to happen on the tour and that's what we were do- going to document on the docu-series. But it didn't really happen. And so we could either scrap the whole docu-series and just be like, let's not talk about it. Let's just hope people forget. Or we could just be like, well, friends, this is, this is the story now. It's, it's a story about the fact that we don't all know what we're doing and not everything we touch turns to gold and we get reamed on Twitter and people scream things at us and boo at us and we got to, you know, and, and I'm not laughing as much watching, but I'm feeling better and I'm feeling better watching their truth. And I hope that's how you felt here lately. And continue to feel here along with lots of laughter because that also is present over there as well. It's, it's the yes and. The yes and we talk about all the time here. The yes and. And if you feel this was a topic today that you needed, that blessed you, that spoke to you, that helped you on allowing women to be angry, how we do anger well, um, and you think that it would help other women, which I can tell you right now it's going to because the response of women hearing those other episodes was very noteworthy and I heard y'all, then please share this. Text it to a friend, share it in a group text, share it in a a Facebook or private group that you're a part of, share it over on Instagram. And while you are over on Instagram, as you hear this, as I mentioned, I'm in the studio filming for you this week, and I will be sharing some behind the scenes over on stories as I do so, and then meet you right back here on our next You're Welcome Wednesday with grace and gumption. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday.